Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. You know, when you hear the reports of persecution in other countries, when you see how bad things are getting in our own country, it's very easy to get discouraged. And this passage is one of many that gives us um, one of many reasons why men and women of faith do not get discouraged, give up. Uh, by faith, we keep penetrating uh, Satan's territory. But um, John 16, beginning to read at verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I'm going to only focus in on verse uh, 7 this morning. Actually, chapters 13 through uh, 17 are Christ's discourse during the Last Supper that he celebrated with his disciples. And in this chapter, he explained the nature of his real presence uh, with his people in the church. And it is not the real presence that the Roman Catholics speak about. Roman Catholics speak about a real presence of Jesus's physical body uh, in uh, the uh, sacrament where they say that supposedly after the blessing, uh, the, the bread turns into uh, Jesus's body and the wine miraculously turns into uh, his blood. Uh, Protestants have rejected that, but unfortunately many Protestants have gone to the other extreme and they have said, well, there isn't any real presence whatsoever. It's just a memorial of something that happened 2,000 years ago. And Reformed people have always said, no, there is a real presence of Jesus in this sacrament that powerfully communicates His grace uh, into our lives. And this is the, the balance that the church had for the most part in the first um, uh, a few centuries uh, of its history. While denying the real physical presence of Jesus, we've always affirmed the real spiritual presence. Verse 7 again. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Now everyone agrees that the Helper is one of the titles for the Holy Spirit uh, here, and this is one of many verses that was discussed at the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Chalcedon. Uh, this verse is absolutely packed with doctrine, most of which we're not going to even touch on uh, this morning. But it is one of many verses that supports the Western church's um, uh, um, opposition to the Eastern church, the Eastern church uh, on the filioque clause of the Nicene Creed. Now, if you've not heard of that, it's really a term that you ought to get familiar with. Filioque is spelled F-I-L... I-O-Q-U-E. Filioque is a Latin term that means uh, and from the Son. The Western version of the Nicene Creed says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father 
and here's the key phrase, and the Son, who with the Father and Son is adored and glorified. Now the East says that the Holy Spirit does not proceed from the Son, He only proceeds from the Father. And this is one of many verses that indicates, no, He proceeds from the Son as well. Jesus said, I will send Him to you. And your eyes might glaze over and you might wonder, you know, what difference does that make? This is like an esoteric difference, but it makes a huge difference. And I highly recommend that you read uh, the book by R.J. Rushdoony called The Foundations of Social Order. He shows that if the Spirit only represents the Father, the tendency will be to see the Spirit's role as to help us to escape from life to heaven. Now, there is an element of truth there. Because uh, the Spirit of God is sent into our heart to intercede on our behalf, to make us long for the Father, to cry out, Abba, Father. And so when he's representing the Father to us, there is this devotional side to our Christian life that we must hold to. And we will be taken to heaven, right? So there's an element of truth there. Uh, So he represents the Father. But if, as the West has so strongly affirmed, the Spirit also represents the God-man, Jesus, then the tendency is going to be in culture for not just drawing our hearts to the Father, but also seeing the Spirit as representing Jesus in His mandate to conquer the earth and make everything spiritual. Okay? Um, If the Holy Spirit represents Jesus and he is sent into our heart to be a helper, what is he helping us to do? And what is he helping Jesus to do? It's not just helping us to be drawn to the Father. There is that, obviously, and there's a devotional life there. But it is also a focus on representing the God-man's kingdom and to help us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Spirit brings the life of Christ's kingdom to earth very, very powerfully. Now, Bojidar Marinov has written a marvelous article showing how the East's rejection of the Filioque Clause has made them pietistic and escapist, unable to resist the centralizing of the civil government, Uh, unable really to transform life. In contrast, the bold affirmation of the Filioque Clause by the West has made Christianity absolutely transform every facet of civilization by incarnating the Scriptures into every every area of life. And I won't get into all of the whys and the wherefores of of, uh, how this difference in faith produces an inevitable difference in outcome. I'll let you read Bo's um, blog on that. But there are four things I'd like you to understand from this verse, verse 7, as we come to the Lord's table. First of all, it's important to understand in what sense did Jesus go away? Because he clearly says he is going away, and they're going to be sad that he is leaving them. In what sense is he going away? Well, it cannot be as to his deity, because as to his deity, he is omnipresent, right? As to his deity, uh, Scripture says, uh, he promises, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Paul says he fills all things in all. And in Hebrews it says about Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So in that sense, he can't have gone away. He was always with them. Uh, How did he go away? Well, it was as to his humanity that 
he went away. He was saying that his body would be absent from them. As to his humanity, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he can only be in one place at the same time as to his humanity. Uh, otherwise, his body would be omnipresent, and you would actually drift into one of the heresies that was earlier. Now, it's true that even in Western Christianity, they began to drift away from this point after the 1200s or so, as more and more Westerners began to believe in transubstantiation, uh, where there's a literal turning of the sacrament into body and blood, and we say, no. As to his body, he is absent. There is no literal body and blood in this sacrament. And the Roman Catholics immediately say, well, if that's the case, why did Jesus say, take, eat? This is my body. Well, <clears throat> we would answer uh, in a twofold way there. We would first of all show how every text that talks about this being his body and blood also in the context makes clear that he's not talking literally. Um, for example, in John chapter 13, after blessing the bread and giving it to his disciples, Jesus still calls it bread in John 13, verse 18. Now, why would he call it bread if it's somehow magically turned into flesh? In fact, uh, after the disciples are handed the bread and they are eating the bread, John the apostle three times still calls it bread that they are eating in John 13, 16, 27 and verse 30. So if there was a literal change into flesh, why is he calling it bread? That would be the first thing we would say. There's a hint right in the context that he's not talking literally. And then the second thing that we would say is this is very natural, normal language that is used for figures of speech. When the scriptures say that Jesus is the door, it doesn't mean he's made of wood. Okay? Uh, when it says this is the that he is the lamb of God or the Passover lamb, it doesn't mean that Jesus is made of mutton or the mutton turns into Jesus. Even Roman Catholics don't believe that happened uh, with the Passover in the Old Testament. Um, this is exactly the same language we would use if uh, I showed you a picture and I said, oh yeah, this is, this is my wife, this is my daughter, and this is our house. Well, when I say this is our house, you're not going to, you, you know exactly what I mean. It's not a piece of the house is in this picture or part of my wife somehow got transmitted into this picture. It's a representation of my wife, my daughter, and my house. But certainly this verse is clear that as to his manhood, Jesus is absent, okay? He has gone away. And if we keep that in mind, uh, we'll avoid a number of errors. Now, we are, by His Spirit, connected to His whole person. His manhood, His divine, uh, divinity, we are connected to His whole person. So we're not saying that there's not a relationship with His whole person, there is. But we need to keep uh, very strongly in mind that in some sense, Jesus went away. Second, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. When we deny the physical presence of the sacrament and we speak of the spiritual presence of Jesus in the sacrament, we are not talking about something that would be second best. Jesus said it is far better for his disciples that he is physically absent from them uh, than when he was physically present with them here on earth. It is the Reformed view of his spiritual presence and his physical absence that is advantageous. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
Third, Jesus says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Christ's death, resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father gave everything that is needed for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be poured out uh, upon uh, the church. And by the Spirit, we are so united to Jesus uh, that his kingdom comes into our lives and his will is being done in our lives more and more on earth as it is in heaven. In the Old Testament, it was just the extraordinary prophets and priests and judges and kings who were able to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, any believer who comes to him by faith can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want you to ask for when you come to this Lord's table. I ask that you would be filled with his power, filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, by that Spirit, uh, enable the power of Jesus to be lived through you. So these elements are a reminder that everything that was needed for us to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit has been provided by Jesus. And in some way, we do eat of Jesus. We drink of Jesus. Even though it's not carnally, we spiritually partake of him by the power of the Spirit. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is being sent as our helper. Now, I don't know about you, but it just hits me in the face every time I read that the Spirit is our helper. We can understand us being helpers, but for Jesus to call the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God who created the universe, our helper is absolutely astonishing. He helps us where we are unable. He empowers and enables us to supernaturally live the kingdom of heaven on earth. And as more believers are filled with the Spirit, more of Jesus gets manifested on earth, more of his kingdom extends on planet earth. And so in Zechariah, it speaks of a time when there will be so much of the kingdom of God on earth, the kingdom of Christ on earth, that everything will be holiness to the earth. So he is progressively making all things new by his power and his spiritual presence. And it's the same power that you're going to be partaking of in this Lord's Supper. As you partake of that, you're extending his kingdom. And as more and more believers are filled with his spirit and they're partaking of the Lord's Supper, his kingdom is taking over uh, planet Earth. So as you come to the Lord's table, do not feel that you are being gypped because there is no physical presence here. Uh, he says we are much more advantaged that his physical presence is in heaven. And we are advantaged because we have the overflow of the Spirit's giftings, his empowerings, uh, everything that is needed uh, to fulfill the Great Commission. And so let's claim, lay claim to the Holy Spirit in this meal. Let's commit ourselves to walking in His power. Father God, we thank You for the promise that Jesus gave that He is making all things new. And this morning we want to be renewed in Your power. We want Your kingdom to come into our lives, Your will to be done in our lives. Uh, and we want the, 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 the passion for the Father's will that Jesus shares and that your Spirit shares to be something that we ourselves share. And so come into our lives in your fullness as we partake of the Lord's table. Uh, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it in, is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.